0: Welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White, and we are very excited to have you here today and listening to our show. It's uh, it's a great little show. We have some radio serials. We have some original funniness. We have some awesome, excellent things that are great. So basically, you know, sit back and relax for this podcast for October 5th, 2009, where, you know, it's custom made directly for this, uh, you know, specific day. So it's awesome. Anyway, let me introduce my co-hosts. First up, we have Mr. Frank Allen. Frank, it's good to see you. Oh, it's good to be here. It's good to be part of the show. It sounds like it's going to be an exciting show. Lots of excitement and awesomeness. Uh, I, for those of you who don't know me, am a, a host, a show host. I host shows. On the on the podcast, I host Tractor Fiction, and I also host Debatatorium. And I'll also have a section uh, in, in a little bit of an interview section, which is going to be quite exciting, because I'm going to be interviewing Senator Smith Smith, uh, which is going to be really sweet. Right, right. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We have a whole bunch of shows to do before then. Right. No. Right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. I know. It was just, I was very excited. No, that's understandable. He's a very famous person. So seriously, in all seriousness, Senator Smith Smith, probably the most famous person we've ever had on the show. So uh, that's going to be pretty cool. But let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Uh, Next to Frank Allen, of course, is Rory Sinjin, who is uh, also one of our hosts. Thank you very much, Jordan. Yes, my name is Rory Sinjin. I am an extra historian. I do extra history. For those of you who don't know extra history, it's the study of other realities, the histories of other worlds, histories that might have been, histories that actually were in other places. So that's exciting. That is actually, that is pretty funny because, uh, you know, I'm sure there's been a lot of extra history going on recently. Well, there's always extra history going on. No, no, I know. But I mean, because of, you know, because in recent news, if, if, if I got this right, correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, I, I will. Yes. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong. When when an event happens, any any way differently that that event can happen is another reality where, where there's slightly different extra history. So, so recently, over the last few days, given what happened with the David Letterman confessing to affairs, there must have been all sorts of different extra history things going on. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. That's very true. When David Letterman confessing to affairs happened, it absolutely caused ripples throughout the time stream, throughout the multiverse, many different realities branched off. A lot of them centering around David Letterman and how he could have reacted differently. You know, ones where he he did the same thing, but everyone reacted differently. Ones where his action was completely the opposite of what he did there. So instead he exploded, which, you know, as, as I'm sure you know, that would be very, very different. Right. Of course. Of course. So has this actually given you more business when there's more extra history happening? Well, mathematically speaking, there, there can't ever be more extra history, really. I mean, mathematically speaking, there, there is always just the same amount of extra history. I mean, you, you look at David Letterman confessing to affairs, and you say, oh, it's complicated, that's a lot of extra history. But the fact is, when I flip a coin, instinct might tell you there's two realities, the head's reality and the tail's reality, but that's absolutely not the, tr- the truth. I could grab this coin here and flip it, and, you know, now we're in the tail's reality. All right. Fine. But, what about the reality where I flipped it so hard it, it sliced through my hand when it came back down again sideways. It cut my hand open, I would start screaming, we'd take me to the hospital, things like that, and everything could branch from there. In addition, I, I could flip it and land he- tails, but instead of, you know, everyone just kind of sitting here and listening to me talk, you could have shot me in the head because you could have decided in your head, you know, when he flips that coin, if it, if it comes up tails, I'm going to shoot him. So that would have been a very different reality. The fact is, there's infinite realities just from me flipping this coin. And as usual, that is complete nonsense. Um, So I don't know why anybody's listening to it. You know, don't believe him. He's totally crazy. Oh, Frank, 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 Frank. Will you ever let this go? Look, he does extra history. It's always the same. I mean, that's interesting. This infinite reality is from a coin flip. I never thought of that. But you don't have to say that about his, you know, ideas. Right. Thank you. Yes. Because the listeners can figure them out for themselves. If they think that that he's full of it, then they'll think that he's full of it. But, you know, that's not for you to tell them. Right. I thought you were defending me. Never mind. No, I mean, I am in a way, but I'm just saying, I, I'm not trying to take sides right now. Fine. Good, because, you know, my side would win. He is nonsense. I'm not, I'm not what you said, no, thank you. Speaking of which, we do have one more co-host, which is, of course, my beautiful cat, Scape. Say hello, Scape. Hello,
1: everybody, my name is Scape. I will be another host on this show. I'm a cat, I'm gray, I like to sing. It is a beautiful thing to sing like me, because I have a beautiful voice, and it's very good and wonderful, Um, but whatever so maybe we should just keep going to get to the part where I sing, because I'm going to be singing very soon, right?
0: Absolutely, scape. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's get right to the first section of the show, which, of course, speaking of what Frank Allen was saying, the first section of the show is, of course, Extra History Now. And scape does get to sing a song for that. So let me pick up my ukulele here, and uh, we can we can get to it. Are you ready to sing scape? Yes, of
1: course. I'm always ready to sing. I love to sing. It's time for the show that we write to go. Extra History Now It's the part of the show that we all called! Extra History Now
2: Do you know that section of the show?
0: Thank you, everyone. Thank you. This is, of course, the show Extra History Now, which I do do every week, giving a free extra-historical reading to someone with some sort of problem. So thankfully, I do believe, Jordan, if, if I am correct, someone did send in their problem this week. Yes, yes, we did. We got an email right here. Here you go. Uh, Frank, do you want to read it for us? Uh, sure. Yes. Thank you. Hello, everyone. On cast and Wax. My name is Jonathan and I have a problem. problem. For a long time now, I have been dating Cynthia. We met in high school. We went to college together and now we are out in the world, making our way, trying to make a living, living at our home with our puppy. The fact is that I am very much in love with her and wanted to let you know that last Saturday, after a beautiful evening out on the town in Manhattan with Cynthia, I did propose to her and ask her to be my wife. I hope it comes as no surprise that she said yes, and we've tentatively set a date in December for the the wedding nuptials to occur. I just wanted to share this problem with you so that hopefully uh, it can touch your lives. Thank you very much. Jonathan Wilson. Well, Jonathan, that is a very, very terrible... Problem. So I can see why you'd want to send it in to us. Um, let me do an extra historical reading based on this problem for you. Uh, there is another universe, in fact, where after that night out in Manhattan, you got down on one knee, as I'm sure you did, took the diamond ring that you'd probably been saving up for months to buy for Cynthia out of your pocket, offered it up to her and said, Cynthia, my darling, will... You marry me. Much like this world, Cynthia said yes. With tears in her eyes, she took the ring and slipped it onto her finger. And only then did the parasitic creature, masquerading as a diamond, sink its hideous fangs into her finger and begin draining her blood. The draining occurs, of course, very slowly. So, so by the time you went to bed that evening, I'm sure you didn't even notice the very subtle pinkening of the diamond as it slowly but surely took blood into itself from Cynthia. Unfortunately, over the night, when the host is less active, the parasite does go into overdrive and I'm sure by the morning, Cynthia's blood had been drained out of her body, and the diamond was, in fact, looking more like a huge ruby. The brilliant color, of course, being no condolence when it came to the fact that your fiancée, at this point, is dead. The police and coroners and things like that, of course, find it completely insane that there could be such a thing as a parasite disguised as a diamond ring, so they assume that you bought her a ruby, and then at some point drained her of all blood, in some sort of sick, ritualistic, you know, pervert thing that you do unfortunately they have no proof of this so they have no choice but to let you go but you've been stigmatized at that point and the news coverage alone ruins your life for the rest of your days you're sad and lonely and people snicker as you pass going oh there's that vampire guy and other people say what do you mean and you say oh he he likes to drink blood things like that you know and it's a very unfortunate situation so let me again condone you for your terrible problem and hope that that my information about another world is in some way helpful thank you very much
2: We
0: Extra History Now! Thank you very much, Scape. Thank you very much. Now, uh, let's get right on with it. We do have a couple of shows this week for you. First up, of course, is Epic Echoes, a show about adventurers fighting villains. Let's get right into it.
3: Echoes the Backwards series. Season 4, Episode 3, In Love and Hate, by Lynn Nelson. As the sky around the flashpoint became slowly brighter, there was something distinctive about the atmosphere inside the building. For this group of evil-fighting, ass-kicking, emotion-suppressing young heroes, love was most definitely and overtly in the air. In one room, the young Jimmy Kovacs was tossing and turning as nightmares of his, uh, conquest of the Empress of Alter Earth ran through his waking mind. Meanwhile, not too far down the hall, Dralis lay with only her thin sheets replacing her usual nightwear. The recently turned male Jill Slaughter sat on the edge of her bed donning yesterday's t-shirt. He heard Dralis take a small breath as though she were about to speak. He kept his back to
4: her. Let's not, um, do this. There's nothing we can say that will make this any less weird. So let's just... Not talk about it. At all. And especially not to other people. You know what's the weirdest? I liked it. Yeah, me too. You know what's in the top three?
5: Having a... I mean, well, having man
4: parts? Yeah. Well, you, uh, seem to adapt pretty quickly. Okay, uh, moving on. Drawless. Yeah? This is possibly a really awkward question, but it's not like there's anyone else I can ask. Anything, Jill. Am I still... Well, what I mean is, does this count as my first? Oh,
5: jeez. That's a tough one. I mean, technically, I guess you did have your first, but you're clearly not feeling yourself lately, so you're the only one who can really
4: decide that. I guess you're right. It's funny. We fight all kinds of monsters and villains from every galaxy, dimension, and time zone, and this turns out to be the most confusing thing I think I've ever gone through.
5: I'm sorry, I couldn't be of any assistance.
4: Well... I wouldn't say that.
5: Oh, Jill, you're terrible! Come on, you'll be alright. Here, we can still hug, right? That's not too awkward, is it? Of
4: course not. Thanks, Dralis.
5: Is that Vertress?
4: Yes. I'll just go take it in the other room. Later, Dralis. Later.
3: A slightly disheveled manslaughter bumped into Max on the way to his room. Good morning, Slaughter. How are you
4: feeling? You look a little lost. Oh, um, I'm okay. It's just, uh... I just had to go to the bathroom and well it's a little weird adjusting to the um, new way I have to do that. <laughs> uh you'll be you'll be fine. You'll probably find it e- easier. <laughs> yeah, apparently I am a I'm adapting quickly.
6: Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm assembling everyone in Control Room 5.
4: Well, I'm not sure I'll be joining you. Furtress is calling me on this video phone. Oh, well, I hope it's good news. Me too. But I may have to leave quickly. It may be time sensitive. Well, I'll understand if you don't show up. And I'll fill the others in. Now go answer that damn thing. It's been flashing for nearly a minute. Aye aye, Captain. Purchase? Took you young enough. Sorry. Max is calling a meeting and I had to tell him I might not be there. That is, if you have good news.
1: I have a spell for you. It took a while to find. Your condition is actually very difficult to reverse.
4: Oh, you little fuzzball.
1: How can I thank you? By turning back into a girl. You're kind of fruity as a guy.
4: Well, what do we do? Do you come here, or do I go there, or... How does this
1: work? Well, it involves a two-part potion.
4: Okay, what are the parts?
1: Well, that's the thing.
4: Uh-oh, what's the thing?
1: Well, the easy part is unicorn saliva.
4: You call that Easy? Do you have some kind of way to magic us to Chimera Axie 7? No, dummy. It's almost impossible to get onto the unicorn planet without proving you have a pure heart. As nice as you think
1: you are, I can't magic your heart pure. Get to
4: the part where it's easy.
1: Most unicorns are magic users.
4: Of course. You must have crossed paths.
1: I helped one out many years ago, and in return she gave me a vial of her magic saliva.
4: That's pretty gross, but helpful, I guess. What's the second part?
1: That one is not so clear. It needs to be another fantastical creature.
4: Um, there's lots of fantastical creatures in the universe, Purchase.
1: Yes, but this one has to be marsupial in
4: nature. Oh, okay. I think I can handle that one. But we're going to have to travel. I'm going to make a call, get some cool clothes on, and come meet me in ten minutes.
3: With fortress and Slaughter off to potentially change Jill's life for the second time in a few days, Max had successfully assembled a dumbfounded pack in Control Room 5. Dumbfounded because the message on one of their main monitors had a threatening air to it, but virtually no threatening content. Attention doomed
7: pack, Assemble in Control Room 5. ha. He actually wrote out his evil laugh? Could be a she. True. It isn't signed, but what does it mean? Not to rain on everyone's parade, but since the, uh, threat says
6: to be in this room, shouldn't we maybe not be in this room? What could possibly happen in our own headquarters? Besides, maybe whoever it is will send along another message to this monitor, and we should be here when it comes in.
3: And at that moment, another message was indeed sent along, only in the form of a blonde-haired gentleman in an outlandishly starched purple suit and stereotypically evil twirled must
8: Bon Jovi Burgers and Nectar Nuggets to you all, my good gentle ladies and ma'am men.
5: Great Mercurian mercy! How did he get in here? I don't believe it.
8: Okay, what am I missing? Sir, faffl fluffle muffins my good sir. How do you don't? The
6: mad hater, Jimmy. Keen, can you load translation software onto your info broadcaster? Give me about...
7: 72 seconds. Jimmy, the Mad Hater is one of the universe's most ominous evil villains.
9: (laughs) Are you serious? He seems really silly to me. In fact, I kind of want to poke him. No! Okay, sheesh, I wasn't really going to. Poking him only makes him angry. Uh, okay. Really, a clue would be nice. Anytime you're ready.
7: The Mad Hater is extremely misanthropic. In fact, he's missing anything, Ick. He hates everyone and everything. He doesn't care what happens to anyone. Well, as long as it's horrible. His goal is to make everyone in the universe so enraged with each other that we all destroy one another and the universe implodes.
9: So he's here to make us angry?
7: Not just angry, Jimmy. He has a weapon that emits a beam of pure hate. Anyone struck by it becomes filled with years full of extreme hatred for everyone and everything.
9: Okay, seems pretty straightforward, except one question. Make it quick. Why does he sound so nice? The mad hater is mad, as in angry.
6: But he's also mad as in bug-freaking-nuts-crazy. He even speaks mad which is why Keen is going to load translation software to translate from mad to English. Done. Okay, Mr. Mad Hater, what is it that you want from the Flash Pack? Why, Snurfing, Kajorgling, Fark,
8: Fark, Everton. Well, you complete
1: waste of space. I intend to destroy the goodness of Earth by pitting you against each other. And then, you're public.
9: Wow, he sounds way better in translation.
7: English captures the intentions behind the words, which Mass
3: scrambles up. Trapped in the confines of their control room and with very few crime-fighting supplies, Molly sat messaging Keen and Dralis on their video phones with makeshift plans. Max, sensing the superheroic activity around him, began to incite the purple-clad villain.
6: I was wondering when you were going to come for us, but I assumed it was all part of some brilliant scheme you were concocting. You are, after all, one of the most feared supervillains of our time. Purple wig-newfins and a lack of witch beard. Of course
1: I am, you- Idiot! I'm the most feared supervillain of any time!
6: Well, you say that, but I have to wonder, how come the most feared supervillain of any time hasn't been able to convert even one whole planet to hatred? And for that matter, how come you haven't even attempted to destroy us, the most respected and
8: superheroes? Osmological, maxery, bin bin, axle grease, monkey monk. Apathy! You dare to
1: question the greatness of the Mad Hater? You are more horrible and pathetic
2: than I thought! You will squirm and grovel before me!
1: Because now, Flashback, your time has come!
3: As the Mad Hater pulled a small ray gun from his breast pocket, a signal from Molly prompted Dralis to spring into motion. She leapt under the table that held the main monitor and, with a quick shove, made its shiny metal control panel fly across the room. The entire Flashback ducked and watched the beam of hate bounce off of the shiny... Tiny metal of the control panel, and head towards the ceiling, quickly calculating the beam's angle keen through her video phone up to the ceiling, reflecting it once more towards the Mad Hater. The villain was just as quick as they, however, and pulled a small, compact mirror from his other breast pocket, reflecting and spreading the beam onto the entire flashback, who seemed to absorb it into their bodies. With another graceful motion, Dralis flew into the Mad Hater's side using all her strength... The ray gun fell from his hand as he stumbled sideways, and Molly caught it in midair. She ran forward, shooting the beam over and over again, directly into the mad hater's heart, until he fell limp
5: to the ground. Why did that kill him? No one's heart can withstand that much hate. Not even his.
7: Nice job breaking our control panel, Dralis. You told me to! Besides, we have a million of those. Crap, this
9: is really bad. Yeah, I totally hate all of you. What's the deal? His
7: beam got to us. Sheesh, calm down, everybody. Yeah, the beam got to us, but it was reflected three times through three different mirrors. Its effects are not nearly as bad as they could be, and should wear off in a day or two. Okay,
6: thanks. But what do we do in the meantime? Avoid each other, duh. The only way not to beat each other up is to quarantine ourselves in our own rooms. I, for one, certainly don't want to be in the same room with any of you.
7: Yeah, well, that's fine with me. I don't care about any of
3: Keen's <laughs> sentence was interrupted by her losing consciousness and falling to the floor. Gods,
5: what a drama queen. Hello? Sarah, you don't need to cry for attention so much. We Get it. You're smart and everything.
7: Stop being so insensitive, Dralis. She
5: just
9: fainted. You women are all so complicated with your calf muscles and your tatas and your. Okay,
6: enough. Jimmy, stop freaking out. Molly, put Keen to bed. Dralis, just. just shut up. And everyone, go to your room. Fine. 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 Flashback flashback flash The flashbacks'
3: day was cut short by the slamming of respective doors. Will the effects of the mad haters beam wear off? Will manslaughter and Fertress find a cure for slaughter's madness? What caused Keen to pass out? Tune in for the next thrilling episode of Epic Echoes from Australia with love.
0: In that episode of Epic Echoes, Guinevere Eckert was the narrator, Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield, Angela Timon was Dralis Thornfield, Devon White was Molly Singh, Tongwen Wong was Sarah Keane, Daniel Schwartz was Jimmy Kovacs, Scape White was Fertress Fuzzbottom, Rob Glass was the Mad Hater, and Andrew Teller was Manslaughter. The theme song was by Michael, temporary Cod Mikowski. Thank you very much, Rory. Thank you very much for that. I hope everybody enjoyed Epic Echoes. It's a fun show. I love it. But of course, up next, we do have Rory St. John's next segment of the show, which is This Day in History and Where Are They Now in History. Right, Rory? What kind of stuff are you going to tell us today? Well, it's funny that you should ask. Of course, today, October 5th, is a very interesting day in history. Let's listen. Hello and welcome to This Day in History. My name is Roy St. John on WHRW Binghamton. On October 5th, 1974, American David Kunst completes the first round the world journey on foot, taking four years and 21 pairs of shoes to complete the 14,500 mile journey across the land masses
8: of four continents. Let's listen.
10: David, darling, it's so wonderful to see you again. How was your trip? Were you successful?
8: It was wonderful. I was really successful and have remained extremely American.
10: Did you really find every copy, every bootleg copy of every movie ever?
8: Absolutely I did. And due to my parochial American heritage, I'm unaware of what's pirated and what's legitimately offered for sale.
10: How much money did you spend, incidentally?
8: Four bucks.
10: Did you go to China? Yeah. They're pretty cheap there.
8: Yeah. I hope nobody shows up and foils our plan to have lots of cheap DVDs. I already made the popcorn. Sounds good.
5: I hate to burst your bubble, David. (laughs) What? But I've been following you on your journey, and I happen to notice that the 21 pairs of shoes you went through wouldn't have happened had you not bought pirated DVDs.
8: You have no soul. You've lost 21 pairs
10: of shoes?
0: Yeah. Having transported illegal DVDs through all those different countries, he would have had to serve time in every single one of them had they ever heard of DVDs at that point in the 70s. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But press pause right there. My name's Roy Singen and this is Wow. Well, are They Now in History on Gas and Wax. The reason professional DVDs cost so much more than bootleg DVDs is an expensive process called de-demonization. The way that DVDs actually work is the very shiny disc is placed on a wall used as a reflective surface down in the bowels of hell. Any number of the damned and demons who live down in hell will look into it as vanity is a sin. But as you know, the DVD will suck those damned and demons into itself. When a DVD is quote-unquote burned, it is forcing the damned who have been trapped in the DVD into a certain configuration so that they will act out the film or television show that is recorded on that DVD. The problem is, of course, that the demons who are caught on the DVD are not affected by the burning. They're immune to fire. This is why legitimate DVDs go through de-demonization to get rid of all the demons who are trapped in the DVD, but this is a very expensive process. Bootleg DVDs usually skip it entirely, which means when you play the DVDs in your DVD player, the demons have the chance to escape and kill you. So that is why you should never buy bootleg DVDs in only regular DVDs. DVDs, it might be the death of you, otherwise. My name is Roy Engine, and this is Where Are They Now in History? From am Kastan No, see, that's exactly what I'm talking about, about you being completely full of nonsense. nonsense because that is totally not true. Not to mention, it, it is almost entirely irrelevant. There was an actual event that actually happened in history, and then you spend the whole time talking about DVDs. That doesn't make any sense. It does make sense, it does make sense, because again, that was relevant. What the man did was completely related to that, and it had to do with the moral. The, the supposed moral, but the fact is that DVDs I mean, there's no such thing as demons hidden inside of DVDs. Of course there are. That's ridiculous. No, when was the last time you saw a DVD with a demon inside of it? That's completely stupid. I've never seen that in my life. Well, that's because you get the good ones. Oh, good, because they're the... Oh, that's ridiculous. That's complete nonsense. It isn't, it isn't. And I I also will have you know, like I said, there's a federal regulation that any professionally made DVDs have to go through a process that takes the demons out of them. Oh, well, well, there you go. Yes, of course. So that's why. Well, yes, that is, I think, a very good explanation. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay, sure. You know, I mean, that's... that's, Okay, okay. Let me just set up a scenario for you person, sitting at home, thinking to themselves, oh, you know what I'd like to enjoy right now? Some DVDs. That'll be perfect. So they go to their computer, they, they, they open up DVDs, and they, they, they are settling back, and oh, what happens? Demons. Jump out. Demons. Coming out and confusing them, making them not understand what's going on in the world. Th- this is what you're proposing actually happens, just because they're, they're, they're unprofessionally made DVDs. Because they're, they're, they're bootlegged, so to speak. DVDs. Well, bootlegged is a bit of a strange word for DVDs. But yes, yes, that's what happens. Demons are inside the DVDs, and they they will they will confuse you. You have to be very careful. I mean, they could do worse than confuse you as well. All right, guys. All right, guys, 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 guys. This is this is a little silly. We have to keep going with the show. We've got all sorts of different things going on. Uh, up next, we do have another segment of the show, which is of course a section we like to call Decker and Hayes. This section, of course, is hosted by the narrator. So, if you, do, do you, Frank, do you want to say something about this? Uh, yeah, yeah. This is a segment in which we uh, discuss the work of uh, Stella Decker and Macy Hayes, and we will what we think of it. I mean uh, uh, Stella Decker and Macy Hayes is a a lesbian couple who who makes these uh, uh detective cases and and we'll, you'll you'll see when we get into it. So hopefully you'll uh, you'll enjoy this. Decker and Hayes.
9: Decker and Hayes, Season 3, Episode 6, Less Than Kind, by Jordan D. White. Sometimes you wind up searching for the things you want least to find.
10: Tasha! Tasha, stop! Wait!
9: Macy Hayes found herself running as fast as her skirt allowed after Tasha, her lover's ex with whom Macy had never seen eye to eye. Tasha had been running a whoring operation that Stella Decker, Macy's partner in the Decker and Hayes Detective Agency, had been left in a friend's will. Macy didn't like Tasha, and she liked Stella running a crime syndicate even less. Nevertheless, when Father Bly told the girls that Tasha just might be the mayor's daughter, the mayor who had hired them to investigate the existence of said daughter, Macy had to beat feet after the fleeing Mademoiselle. Stella certainly couldn't, not in her wheelchair.
10: I just need to talk to you. Stop. Get stuffed.
9: Tasha knew the South Tip streets like the inside of her eyelids, and quickly gave Macy the slip. Fortunately, it wasn't hard to tell where she was headed. Poplar Street was only six blocks from Mama Wang's house. As Macy rounded the corner onto the block the brothel sat on, she saw the bulky form of Benny the Bouncer filling the entryway. On seeing Macy approach, the Bouncer firmed up his stance and made himself ready. Don't come any closer, bitch.
10: I believe Stella had words with you about talking to me that way.
9: Yeah, well, Stella's not here,
0: and Miss Tasha says you don't get inside. No way, no how.
10: Miss Tasha isn't here either, and you're certainly not going to stop me.
9: Oh, really? Really. You're going to go right through me?
10: If you're smart, I won't have to.
9: Yeah, then I guess I'm not so bright.
10: No argument here.
9: Macy's hand leapt toward the bouncer's ribs with panther speed, causing a loud crack as it broke under the blow. The bouncer let out a yelp Uh. and doubled over in pain. Macy interlaced her fingers and slammed her fists down on the back of the large man's head, (laughs) knocking him out and to the ground. (laughs)
10: Sleep well, bright boy.
9: Up the stairs, the detective ran, taking the steps two in a stride, and burst into the main lobby. Smoke was clouding the air of the lobby, pouring from both the mama's office as well as the hallway of the working rooms.
10: Tasha? <coughs> Tasha! What are you doing? Where are you?
9: Covering her mouth, Macy ran towards the heaviest source of the smoke. The thick, sooty air rampaged out of each of the bedrooms. Ducking down low and moving along the hall, Macy soon came to Tasha, lying unconscious on the floor. Matches in a gas can by her side.
10: What did you do, girl?
9: Macy stuffed her hands under Tasha's arms and dragged her back down the hallway and down the stairs. She laid the girl down on the ground next to Benny and checked her for breath. She gripped the girl's nose, pressed her mouth to Tasha's, and blew into her lungs. She then pressed on Tasha's chest and repeated until the girl coughed back to life.
10: (coughs) What? What happened? You tell me. It looks an awful lot like you torched Mama's place. Why? <laughs> I have no idea. My guess is you finally flipped your lid. No. Why did you save me?
5: Jesus Christ. Wh- what happened?
9: Stella just rounded the corner, spinning her wheels as fast as her arms could carry her.
5: Is that smoke? Is she alright? Barely, and if we want to keep her out of jail, we better get the hell out of here. She said fire to
10: Mama's. I, I, think-, I think she wanted to
5: die here. What happened to Benny? I did. Well, wake him up. We're going to need him to carry Tasha if we're going to get out of here before the fire department gets here.
10: Hey. Hey, look. Wake
5: up.
0: Whoa. What's... What the hell Miss Tasha, what the hell did you do to her, bitch?
5: Save her life, no thanks to you. She did it to herself. By the way, nice job protecting my place. Jesus Christ, somebody torched the... Um, pl- <laughs>
7: I'm
3: sorry, Benny. I got you into some trouble.
0: It was nothing, ma'am.
9: I'll be fine, just a broken rib.
0: Good. Pick
5: up your former boss. We're taking both of you to the hospital.
9: The whole group of them made their way from the scene of the arson, sirens already beginning to echo through the south tip streets. In the pickup, Stella and Macy rode in the cab, while Benny rode in the back, holding Tasha in his heavy arms. Typically, Stella would never allow someone she cared about to be caught dead at Cherry Street General Hospital. But it would be a long ride to St. Margaret's for those riding in the rear. As Benny helped Tasha to the emergency room, Macy pulled Stella aside.
10: Stella, you're not going to like this idea, but I Forget it,
9: Macy. Blades take care of their own.
10: You don't even know what I was going to say- I'm not putting her in the psych ward. Be reasonable. She just tried to kill herself. You think you can take care of her, stop her from going through with it? What are you going to do? Tie her to our bed?
5: If necessary, yeah. She's a blade. We're family. More than that- I don't expect you to understand.
10: I've had my share of partners. And you
5: betrayed them all, if I remember correctly.
10: If you really care about her, you should get her the proper help, and a killer cripple falls short of a trained medical staff.
5: If she's the mayor's daughter, somebody has to protect her from the widow.
10: That's a big if. She definitely wasn't the woman in the picture.
5: So they wanted to throw us off the trail. Bly knows this place. If he says it, I'll buy it.
10: I think we'll need a little more proof to bring this to the mayor. How about the mother?
5: Tasha never knew her. Died in childbirth. The only firm records on it would have been in Mama's office, and I expect they're cinders by now.
10: But even if she is the daughter, she's still better off here. We can focus on getting this widow and let the professionals work on helping her brain. Besides, she has no social security number, no driver's license, so why would we register her under her real name?
5: Yeah, but even so, I think I should- You don't
10: even understand how normal girls think. Now you're going to help someone who's sick? She needs real help, Stella. Doctor help. <sighs> Fine.
5: I don't like it, but... Whoops. Who is it?
10: Nobody. Dry cleaner. Your suit's are ready.
5: Give me that. Cone? Courtney? Did Mr. Chan change his name? No, it's just... Save it. I've got to go help someone who cares about me. Stella, wait. Damn it.
9: Stella rolled into the ER and met up with Benny and Tasha. She took their admittance forms and filled them both out. Neither patient actually able to read. Macy rejoined the group, but remained silent. The doc checked Tasha out for smoke inhalation, and then Stella took him aside to discuss Tasha's... other problems. A few more forms, a slightly altered version of Tasha's backstory, and an expert evaluation later. Tasha was relocated to the psych floor. She wasn't thrilled. She had to be tranquilized after she gave the first orderly a black eye. Eventually, Stella was allowed into her new room to see her. Macy waited down in the ER. Tasha looked out of it, and her arms and legs had been strapped to the bed.
3: What the hell do you want?
5: Tasha, don't make this any harder than it's gotta be.
3: Shut up. How could you do this to me?
5: Me? Me? How could you do this to me? How could you do this to Mama? She was practically a mother to us, and this is how you honor her memory.
3: I was supposed to die. I was supposed to be gone.
5: Oh, much better.
3: I was supposed to die, and then you'd see... See what? That you've been wasting your time with that bitch. When you're in love with me, you're supposed to love me. I need you to love me.
5: I... I love you, Tosh. But
3: not like I love you.
5: No, not like that.
3: You should have let me die.
9: <laughs> you're going
5: to get better, Tasha. It's going to be good for you here.
9: A knock at the door turned the two ladies' heads. It was Benny creeping in cautiously. His chest bulged a little extra from bandages. He carried a bouquet of yellow tulips. He smiled, sheepishly. Hey, I, I got these for you, Miss Tasha.
3: <laughs> Benny, thank you, Benny. They're, they're real pretty.
0: I saw them, and I, I didn't have the money, but I picked the guy's pocket to get them for you. Pretty, like you always been.
5: Thanks. Look, Tash, I've got to be going. This is going to be good. It'll be good for you.
3: Whatever you say, (sighs) Mom.
9: Benny? I'd like to stay with Miss Tasha for a little more, if that's okay with her. And Stella rolled herself out, leaving the burly man and the broken woman alone, with the tulips. Meanwhile, Macy had been pacing the downstairs hallway when she'd been surprised to see a familiar face within a room she was passing. Unfortunately, he saw her as well.
7: You bitch. Crap. Came to gloat, didn't
1: you bitch? Came to see friend's handiwork.
9: Macy closed her eyes, steeled herself, and turned around to enter Bobko's room. His face was red with anger, as if he'd summoned all the blood in his body into his head. The cop held up the bandaged stump where his right hand used to be.
1: You see this? This is going to ruin me. I'm going to be kicked off the force.
10: Stella and I had nothing to do with that.
1: Yeah, except for the stupid bitch saying this is for Stella while she cut me, you dumb broad. God damn it, I didn't think there'd ever be one of you type I'd hate more than Decker. But I'm gonna kill that Tasha bitch, I swear it.
10: I've got to get going, Sergeant.
1: You're not done with this, hear me? I'm gonna have to have the boys lean on your ass until you get over that slut, you hear me?
10: Knowing you like I do, Bobco, I doubt any of the boys will miss you much. And considering that I have a job now and you don't, I don't think you could outbid me for their loyalty.
2: It's not finished! I'll get you! All three of you! I swear it!
9: The threats faded into the distance as Macy made her way back towards the entrance of the hospital. As she neared it, her phone rang.
10: Hello? Macy! Hey! Courtney!
3: You never called me back the other day. I've been worried. You're in a dangerous business. I
10: thought you said you lost my cell number. Oh, I did, but your secretary gave it to me. Helpful girl. When it suits her. Listen, we really need to talk.
9: One of the nearby elevators opened and Stella wheeled her way out. She and Macy made eye contact.
10: But not right now. I have to go. Oh, call me soon? Sure. I... I love you. (sighs) Goodbye.
5: How's your girlfriend? Stella. Shut up. I don't want to do this. We were happy. Stella, we're- Just take me back to the office. We're- Now. Fine.
9: Not a single word was spoken over the next twenty minutes riding back to their building. The pair didn't even look one another in the face the entire time. Both spent the ride rehearsing in their mind the fight they'd have once they'd arrived, both thinking they certainly had the most defensible position. The tension continued to mount as they approached the building, and as they rolled into the lobby, it was practically choking them.
7: Welcome back, Miss Decker- Miss Hayes?
5: Didn't I fire you? I assumed you'd
7: reconsidered.
5: I haven't. You're still fired.
7: Here's your coffee. Thanks. There's a woman in your office waiting. Said she wants to hire you.
5: Yeah, just what we need. I'll let her down easy. What's her name?
7: She called herself the Widow. Said you'd know what it meant.
9: With personal matters clouding the air, the duo's nemesis appears to have waltzed into their lair. What does the Widow want? Is Tasha the mayor's daughter? Who is this Courtney Cohn? Come back next time for a little more truth and a lot more lies in unreasonable doubt.
0: In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Timon. Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Jane Vance was Ava Rosenblatt, Courtney Cohn was Anna Call, Officer Bobco was Elijah Weberhan, Benny was Jordan D. White, and Tasha was Guinevere Eckert. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Cod Mikowski. Thank you very, very much. Thank you very, very much, uh, Mr. Roy Sinjin, for that. Hopefully everybody enjoyed it. And we do have one more segment to the show. Isn't that right, Scape?
1: Yes, it is absolutely right. This is going to be awesome. This
0: is going to be awesome. I agree. I mean, you are one talented person.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Up next, we have a very exciting thing called Scape. It's the coolest ever. All right,
0: but hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, Are we actually doing that? I I thought I was actually going to have this interview with Senator Smith-Smith. Are we going to do that? Oh, right. Right. Because Senator Smith-Smith, he's very famous and stuff. I forgot all about that. Well, yeah. Can we, can we, uh, I thought we were going to do my interview. Oh, right. Well, uh, here's the thing. I mean, uh, go ahead. Okay, thanks. Frank Allen Interviews, starring Frank Allen. Hello and welcome to Frank Allen Interviews. My name's Frank Allen, and I do have a very special, special report. Uh, based on the news stories of today, ripped from the headlines, uh, we understand that David Letterman has confessed to having affairs with some of his co-workers, or rather the people who work for him, the women who work for him. And we, spared no expense, got a special expert from the future, Senator Smith-Smith from New York. Part-time game show host from the future.
6: Uh, hi, Frank. Hey, how's it going? Going quite well.
0: How about you? Good, good, good. Uh, so no, uh, my understanding is you have a lot of uh, a lot of opinions on this uh, David Letterman matter. Oh, don't I ever? Now that's kind of strange because you're from the future, so I wouldn't think it would affect you all that much.
6: Well, a lot of us in the future are kind of thinking, who oh, didn't see
4: this one coming?
6: Well, right, because you're from the future, so it already happened. Well, yes, but come on. I mean, it was David Letterman. You kind of saw something like this. Coming, nonetheless. Even though it already happened, I nonetheless what? Uh, I'm sorry. I have I have taken so many years of studies into these kind of topics, and I do have a game show called "Guess What That Celebrity's Doing Today." So it is kind of tough for someone like you to not uh, to not be following. Well, I'm I you yeah. I'm
0: not following. You've completely lost me. So you have a game show host in the future about celebrities, so that makes it relevant. But what what are you what what studies? What are you talking about? Well, here's the truth you're missing here.
6: Frank in the time period I come from every celebrity is have an extramarital relationship so all of them all of them yeah so when your show says guess what that celebrity
0: is doing today it can
6: easily be guess who that celebrity is doing today you get what I'm saying I, I, yeah I got it so the answer sex is that's what the celebrity' doing today you' don't, you simply don't say Sex on the airwaves. That's, that's not something you do. Sex is censored? Yes. What do you say? We just use these kind of words to kind of dance around the issue,
2: you know? Come
6: on, it, it, it's, it's basic poli-sci, man. Like, what kind of dance? Like, 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 You just don't say that kind of stuff!
0: What, 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 so then what kind of dancing around? What,
6: what kind of dancing? Like, whoopee? Frank, I'm not quite sure I'm following you on that, but let me just say that the stuff, the stuff that Letterman does... Well, everyone does it today. We just, we just really don't talk about it. That's all. I thought you had a whole show about it. Well, yes, I talk about it, but the people who actually do it don't talk about it. We, they just kind of dance around it.
0: Okay, so I'm trying, I'm just trying to figure out what it is that you're allowed to say if you can't say sex. So, David Letterman made the beast with two backs.
6: Can you say that? Oh, yeah. Isn't that like some sort of biblical thing? That's a biblical sex thing. You would be so ostracized in my world. Can we say David Letterman, uh,
0: planted a cabbage in the sea biscuit.
6: No, you're just not making any sense, man. Can
0: Can you say David Letterman slipped the iron dagger into the plentiful
6: sheep? Look, I've been studying this a lot longer than you, okay? The correct terminology to use is riding the train through the tunnel, or the horizontal boogie, or, I don't know, making that shot into the 18th hole. Even. Are there 17 other holes? In the future, there is. Okay, so, so, well, we've dealt with the,
0: the airwaves of the future then, so that's what we can say. So, w- with all this 18th hole shenanigans, um,
6: is there any political ramifications? I mean, you, again, you'd know the answer because you're from the future. And I am a senator. From the future. Yes. I'm sorry, what was the question again? Ramifications, non airwave based, of the whoopee. I mean, the Mambo. Isn't that a candy of some sort?
0: That's a, okay, uh, 18th hole the train the train in the hole
6: we're playing golf on the train now i i, I don't understand
0: david lerman had sex and i want to know what becomes of it in the future
6: Usually babies. No, I I know
0: that babies come from... Se- he already had the sex, and there's no babies. I mean, he has babies, but they're not from the sex that we're talking about. The woman... St- oh, okay. David Letterman had sex with women who worked for him. Do, do you even know what I'm talking about?
6: <sighs> you presentees make no sense at all. That's what we call you, by the way. Uh, do, do you remember that? Uh, we, we refer to you guys as the presentees. But we're in your past. We should be pasties. You
0: should be presentees. Everyone should be presenties. Presentees, really? We,
6: we signed into law after my last appearance. You guys are now officially the presentees. But then what? Don't you live in the present? I live for the future. But you live in the present. Irrelevant. It, well, it seems relevant. But, okay, as
0: a celebrity watcher,
6: right? Yes. And a senator. Yes. You know about David Letterman. Yes, and I know what he did was, wow, that's a great way to get yourself kicked out of office in my time. Well,
0: he doesn't have an office. He has, like, a studio. Hmm.
6: That's why he can get away with it. See, the celebrities, they can get away with it. But the politicians, well, they only get away with it if they kind of keep it under wraps.
0: Let me ask you this. Do you think it was a savvy move of him? Because what he he did is he was being blackmailed. And rather than give in to the blackmail, he confessed the entire shebang, so to speak, on uh, national television. Was that savvy or was that cool?
6: What was it? That was so not cool. You don't talk about that kind of stuff in the future, as I just said, even if you are a celebrity. Well... It's. I guess it's a little bit more okay if you're a celebrity and you talk about it in the future. So what do they talk about
0: in the future if they don't talk about sex? It seems like sex is what everybody talks about all the time.
6: Golf. Lots of golf.
0: Golf is a metaphor for sex or just regular golf? What is it with you and sex anyway?
6: You people, you presentees are so perverted. You said that sex was seventeenth hole. I mean, eighteenth hole. Something about a hole. I never officially made such a statement, and I challenge you to go back and find it. All right, here it is. I will play it. I don't know, making that shot into the eighteenth hole. You presentees have some audio manipulation software you're probably using. Pretty. Primitive compared to what we have in the future. What, well, you can make people say things in the future? Well, yeah, but you just don't do that. Well, you can. We can, but
0: we don't. So, but if I gave you some money and I said, can you make this person say that, you you could do it? Uh,
6: yeah, but that's uh kind of illegal. Well, in the future, it's illegal. It's not illegal in the present because nobody's done it yet. That's why you presentees are so... So very wrong. Well, hypothetically, how much money would I have to give you to do that? One million, sealed manila envelope, unmarked, left in the park, under the bench. One million envelopes? No. One million dollars in an envelope. I don't think it would fit. Then make it a check. You take checks? In the future. This is risky. Look, can I give you one dollar now? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were talking
0: hypothetically here. Uh, Hypothetically, could I give you a dollar in a bank account now? And you could take it
6: out in the future. Well, yeah, I guess that would work all right sounds like a deal wait wait,
0: a minute, right, so well I, I mean let me ask you this what is it about this david letterman thing that was so important that you felt the need to come back from the future i mean into the present
6: as you call it uh to to talk to us today look i've been studying this topic for a number of years now so i know more than most other people would about this given issue and this is it right here this is where the trend starts. From here, all the celebrities will eventually start having extramarital affairs and people will try to blackmail them like crazy. Although,
0: you know, actually, I heard he didn't even have it extramaritally. I heard he had it before he was married.
6: Well, then, the celebrities of the future just try to one-up that by making an extramarital. So
0: then, the, what about the celebrities in your future? Wouldn't By which I mean further in the future than you. What are they going to
6: be doing? I don't know. Do I look like I'm from the super-duper future? Well, no, but hasn't some game show host from the super duper
0: future come back and told you? No. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, well, okay. Uh, I guess that's about all we have to talk about about David Letterman. Did you want to say anything else to our present listeners?
6: Yes. Watch the serious premiere of Guess What That Celebrity Is Doing coming in 10,000 Years. You're from 10,000 Years in the Future? Yes. I thought you... And you still know who David Letterman is? That's kind of impressive, actually. Ancient American Studies. All
0: right. Well, thank, thank you very much, Senator Smith-Smith. Uh... It, It's been a pleasure having you, uh,
6: and I will get you that dollar. Hypothetical dollar. Hypothetical dollar. Hypothetically, I will get to you. Hypothetical. Sounds like a hypothetical deal. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
0: No, skate. Thank you. Thank you. That was really, really exciting. I
1: know. Thanks.
0: <sighs> Whatever. Oh, right. Senator Smith-Smith. No, but th- that's the thing. You know, when it all comes down, Senator Smith-Smith, I think, uh, is full of himself. So I don't know how much we really like Senator Smith-Smith. But the fact is, uh, uh, no, sure, that's a very interesting person to talk to so now we are up to the end of the show which is the part uh where we do the listener mail but before we do listener mail we do a song where scape gets to sing us a little song about uh, uh the day and the, the podcast is that right scape yes of
1: course that's right i'm ready to sing whenever you are dad
0: i'm ready i've got my ukulele here okay let's go Ape. Very good. That was a great little song. So, um, unfortunately, we don't have any email for the listener mail section, which is a really kind of crappy thing. Yeah, and so, I mean, especially considering, um, Scape. You you did a song recently, and you were supposed to get graded on it, and, and you didn't yet, right?
1: No, I'm still waiting for my grade. I hope everybody write my song, because it was really cool. I sang the song entirely in Japanese. It was
0: so badass. That's true, it was. It was really badass. But you didn't get a grade yet, so hopefully soon. Um, at any rate, um, I think that's the end of our October 5th show, so hopefully everybody will enjoy it. Uh, now, coming up next, I did do a, a Waxwork theme song to, to get us out of the show. On my ukulele, I did Waxwork Theme H, which is a a nice one, and I really stripped it down, did it very, very softly and tenderly, so hopefully everybody will enjoy that. Um, I guess that's it, though. I guess we're going to talk to you all later. Be seeing you. This big, fat, stupid-looking ear-to-ear grin man. I know that long and look in your eyes Saying if you don't know Doesn't mean you can't fantasize But when the lights off and They bring out dessert then You pause and smile And my heart won't stop hurting. Happy birthday, come on, blow out the candles You're taking too long to sign away who- Before the wax drips down and ruins a kick. Because nobody likes eating those wax drips Go on and do what we all know what your wish is you a caught in my hand but you say wish me luck and head over where he stands and you go to him and smile and chat while I'm just standing here in my conical party hat if only I'd said out loud how I feel for you but Hallmark says it's so much better than I do I know you want us just to be friends, but how could you ask him to help clean when this all ends? And I can't believe you forgot so soon who put your streamers up and who helped blow up your balloons, who brought the chips and dip and soda and brownies. It wasn't him, it was me, 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 me. too long decided what wish to make happy but they come on blow out the candles before the wax drips down and ruins the cake because nobody likes eating those wax drips go on and do it we all know what your wish is episode of Cast and Wax, on guard duty, Binary Girl is feeling incredibly
9: insecure.
10: You, you think I add something to the team? Of course.
9: Well, what? Well, you have <laughs> Moxie, and you seem to make Pease Blossom very happy.
0: <laughs> and on Tract Fiction... Book of Mormon makes a woman develop a chest
8: rash. Mrs. Palmer, we went through the flip chart presentation on our last visit. Have you had a chance to read the Book of Mormon that we left you?
10: Yes, I liked it and prayed like you asked me to. And I felt that burning in the bosom you told me about.
8: I don't think that's what
0: was happening there. But we're also going to have some historical stuff that people are just
6: going to be desperate to get away from. I'm going to dig to the other end of the world, to Mother Russia.
0: No, he's not desperate. I know, I'm kidding. There's also going to be another scapey story continuing the saga of Herbert West, Reanimator. And it's all coming your way on October the 12th.
2: And only on Waxwork.com. But that chest rash thing was kind of funny. Thank you, thank you.